So Amira, Amira walked up to me earlier and she looked at this and she said, do all the pastors have one of those? <laughs> if you're a pastor, I'm sure you have an algene, yes? If you don't, you can come to my house because we have about 50 of them, <laughs> right? Nalgenes. <laughs> we have no shortage, amen? Our cups runneth over. I did notice, yes, I noticed that. Everybody good? Praise the Lord, hallelujah. I'm thankful to be able to stand before you today and share. And we are going to have a time of sharing and caring. And um, we're going to continue to talk a little bit about a passage that Monica read, and I know that's been prevalent in our teachings this week. Uh, it's not the one on your handout. And I hope that you brought your Bibles, and if you didn't, you might open up your Bible app on your phone, because we are going to do some Bible reading. Is that okay today? Everybody good with that? All right. Hallelujah. I'm going to start with um, Jeremiah 31:10, and then I'm going to read Jeremiah. I'm sorry. Then I'm going to read from Matthew 2, verse 16. Those are not on your handouts, but I'm going to begin now in Jeremiah 31, beginning in verse 10 through 17. Hear the word of the Lord, O you nations, and declare it in the isles afar off, and say. He that scatters Israel will gather him and keep him, as a shepherd does his flock. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob and ransomed him from the hand of him that was stronger than he. Therefore they shall come and sing in the height of Zion, and shall flow together in the goodness of the Lord. For wheat and for wine and for oil and for the young of the flock and of the herd. And their soul shall be as a watered garden, and they shall not sorrow any more at all. Then shall the virgin rejoice in the dance, both young men and old together. For I will turn their mourning into joy, and will comfort them, and make them rejoice from their sorrow. And I will satiate the soul of the priests with fatness, and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness." says the Lord. Very next verse, verse 15 says, Thus saith the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel, weeping for her children, refused to be comforted for her children because they were not. Thus says the Lord, refrain thy voice from weeping and thine eyes from tears. For thy work shall be rewarded, says the Lord, and they shall come again from the land of the enemy. And there is hope in thine end, says the Lord, that thy children shall come again to their own border. Amen. Turn with me now to Matthew 2, verse 16, and we'll read verses 16 through 18. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth. And he sent forth, and he slew all the children that were in Bethlehem, and in all the coasts thereof, from two years old and under, 
according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Then was fulfilled that which was spoke by Jeremy, the prophet, saying, In Ramah there was a voice heard, lamentation and weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and would not be comforted because they were not. So, what a, I mean, what a, what a story. You know, we, we read early, you know, in the early part of Jeremiah 31 about the blessings of the Lord and, you know, eating the wheat and the fat and, you know, living well in the promised land. And then we read this passage about Rachel weeping for her children. And then in Matthew we see that um, when all those children were born and killed by Herod, that um, that passage was fulfilled. Rachel was weeping for her children. And the reason I share that with you is, um, how many of you, how many of you teach? Most of us, right? And um, how many of you are preparing for a teaching, but yet you have nothing like the day before? <laughs> <laughs> So uh, Saturday morning, we were sitting there, and Monica looks at me, and she says, do you have anything for your teaching? And I said, I don't have anything. And during that, um, the praise and worship time Saturday morning, the Lord um, shared with me what he wanted me to talk about, and it actually came from a discussion that Monica and I had, um, just about, you know, the, the, the concept, if you will, that, we've, that we're all familiar with, and that is, you know, we're called, our, our saints network is called to what? We're supposed to go out and take the land, right? We're supposed to go into many nations, make disciples, and take the land in these end days. And then we also know that um, the Lord is calling back and redeeming uh, children, oftentimes our kids, from maybe the hand of the enemy or from wandering off the path. But he's calling back his, his kids, and you know, in the end times, which I firmly believe we're in, and if we're not, I know we're closer to the end than we are the beginning. I believe that anyway. Um, the Lord is raising up a mighty army in these end times. And I think about, you know, if, if you look at, amongst our congregation or you look amongst the, um, the saints throughout the network, it's multi-generation, right? You know, it's, it's um, you know, Gen 1, Gen 2, Gen 3. And we have that even in this very room. And it, it's kind of like, um, you know, the saying that says, you know, I, I, that, that'll never happen to me. You know, we think that, that, that bad things happen to other people or that, you know, that somehow we're insulated. You know, we exercise all the time. We eat all the time. We do all this stuff to stay healthy, and that, that is all good. But we're not getting out of this alive. You know, it's not like we're doing all this to, like, be here forever. Praise the Lord. Um, but, you know, I, I thought about this. I thought, okay, if this is what's going on, there's taking the land. There's the young generation that's coming up that are going to be the ones that, that really bring in that end-time harvest. You know, what is it that we can do? I mean, we are not going to live forever. The weight is not all on our shoulders. And yet sometimes we feel like the burden has fallen to us. 
And in some respects, it has fallen to us because we're supposed to train up our children in the way they should go so that when they are old, they will not depart from it. It does not mean that they won't wander off the path. How many of you wandered? Anybody? I know I did. Huh? I started out that way. Yeah. Stacy just got back on the path. <laughs> but we all wander, right? We all, um, in some respects, at some point in our life, become that wayward child, except for Tammy. Um, but I, uh, that's, that's really the, the foundation of, of what I want to talk to you about today, okay? Um, last night, um, I was home, and Olivia and Alzavian were there. Many of you got to meet Alzavian. He's such a good guy. And he's involved in a ministry called Braveheart, and it's a ministry of discipleship to young men. And it's really pretty astounding because he, he disciples, I think there's 12 of them, that he disciples. I mean, he walks with them, talks with them, teaches them, preaches to them, disciples them, teaches them the word. And um, last night, Alzavian was there, and uh, Nikita, he came here from Russia. His father's Russian, his mother is Ukrainian. Interesting. Sweet, sweet spirit. Um, but anyway, so Olivia and Alzavian went to the store, Nikita went with them, and I had Hank the dog out in the study laying on his spot. And, <laughs> and um, I didn't know this, but I heard the front door open. You're <laughs> <laughs> Hank, Hank the dog. <laughs> yeah, that bead of sweat dripping down your head. Luciano got intimately close to Hank last time he was here. <laughs> Hank left a mark on our brother. <laughs> anyway, um, I didn't know, but I heard the front door open. I'm like, I thought Alzavian and Olivia just left to go to the store. And in, in walk, these, these two guys were like, hello, hello. And I could tell they were young people, and, they were, and I assumed they were probably friends of Olivia and Alzavian. And I said, hey, I have the dog out. Let me put him up. And so they just go into the dining room, and they sit down at the, at the table, and they start opening up their backpacks and stuff. So I put Hank up, and I walk in there. And they've got their Bibles out, and they're, like, reading, and they've got their journals, and they're writing. And I just thought, you know, What a blessing. I mean, I know what I was doing when I was that age, and I wasn't bringing my Bible over to somebody's house. And I think that's just a sign of the times. That's a sign of these end times and of the generation that's coming up behind us to um, go in and take the land. Um, I was thinking about Rachel weeping for her children. And you know, when you read that, it's really, I mean, it's just heart-wrenching. You know, she, she's weeping for her kids because they are no more. And I think about that, and I think about um, the children of Israel, and I think about the father. And, you know, the father um, got them out of bondage, had the promised land all set up for them, and what did they do? <coughs> They wandered for 40 years in the wilderness, basically disobeying the Lord, not believing the Lord. And don't you know that 
like Rachel, weeping for her children, that that hurt, you know, hurt his heart. I mean, we think of the Lord saying, you know, I'm, I'm going to, you know, he's talking to Moses, I'm going to strike them all dead, you know, split the earth open. And, you know, we had, thankfully, Moses, the great intercessor, interceding so that he didn't do that. But, you know, we tend to think of the Lord that way. Like, oh, I can't believe these rebellious Israelite children. I'm going to swallow them up with the earth. But he was, he was mourning. He was weeping. He was lamenting for his children, Israel. And um, fortunately, there were some of the younger generation, Caleb and Joshua, who, you know, hadn't learned the fearful ways of their parents. You know, hadn't learned to uh, disbelieve or argue or ask why or whatever. They had faith to believe right? Uh, we're going to read here in a minute about spying out the land, you know, and, and you had uh, the older men and some of the younger men go in and spy out the land. They come back to give the report, and, you know, Joshua and Caleb were all fired up, you know, we can do this. We can take it. Let's go in and take the land. But then the older men said, no, wait a minute, you know, there's giants in the land, and they started, you know, spreading uh, the fear-mongering, right? We as the older generations here leading up our youth had better not be the fear mongers. Okay, we need to be the encouragers. We need to come along and support them and strengthen them and lift them up in prayer and in intercession, right? Because it's a heart. I mean, don't you know that anything good comes at a cost? There's a price to pay. Right? It's funny because I'm, I'm in the middle of a transition with my work, and I used to office out of a one-bedroom, one-bath apartment downtown, and if I didn't have clients in, I would go in in, like, shorts and T-shirt and flip-flops. Right? If I had a Zoom call, I had a dress shirt in the closet. <laughs> right? Um, so where I am now, dress a little more professionally. There's a lot of people around. And no and I've had some discussions about clothes. And I said, you know, um, you can tell if you get the shirt out and you put it on that you bought on sale somewhere. It still might be nice, but you know you bought it on sale, and maybe it's not like you know the best brand. And then the day that you put on that shirt that was really expensive, right? That you do not want to spill coffee on. You want to make sure your lid's on, Larry. Um, there's a difference, and I think that some of the satisfaction. An appreciation of wearing that expensive shirt is not just the cost, it's that it cost you something, right? You had to save up for it, you had to work for it, you had to earn and save and set aside, and then you get it. Now, man, every time you put that on, it's like, now I feel right. You know what I'm saying? Um, so, you know, going in to take the land, the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey, um, it was a good land, and, and if you're occupying that land, you're going to fight to keep it, right? And if somebody's coming in to take that land away from you, it's going to be a battle. And so in these end days, the enemy, uh, he knows he's lost, number one, and we know how the end of the story plays out, but it's going to be a battle. It is a battle, and it's a serious battle for our young people. I mean, you think about all that they face today. I mean, goodness gracious. You know, I think that we faced a lot when we were young. We didn't face half of what these young kids are facing today. And so as we see this younger generation coming up 
we need to be mentoring and teaching and showing them the way and leading them in the way and loving them and vocalizing that and hugging them and praying for them. Okay? Hey, Les. Yeah. One of the things that to me that is so astounding is that when you think about the passages that you read, you think about Rachel giving birth to Joseph and Benjamin, who were hugely instrumental in establishing the tribes, which were hugely instrumental and as an example for us in going in and taking the land, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And yet she died in sorrow. She died in childbirth. She never saw any of it because she died there on the road, right? Giving birth to Benjamin. And to me, it, it just, God is so amazing and his word is so timeless. The reality that that happened and then some thousand years later, he puts the word in the prophet's heart to speak it forth of her weeping over these sons mm. who were taken captivity and really their purpose and their function being taken away, mm. of course, by because of the sin of the land, but... Um, and then how many, I, I'm terrible with time. So I don't, I don't know the time between Jeremiah and where we are today, but hundreds and hundreds of years later, God speaks that word, the same word mm -hmm. that comes from scripture. His word is so alive and so timeless. And so for us, it gives us the promise and the commission that was birthed thousands of years ago. Amen. Is that just amazing? It is amazing. I mean, to me, that's so amazing that we would be commissioned to not only go in and take the promised land, but to call forth these sons that were taken. Yes. It's just amazing to me. It is amazing. His Thanks. word is just eternal and timeless and... So for one minute, we think God is not in this. Oh. <laughs> yeah. He just proves himself over and over in us, through us. It's interesting, too, because oftentimes, you know, we think about, um, you know, we, we, we hope, you know, we hope for that day. We hope for, you know, um, Zion, you know, to be there in heaven. But you know, if we do what we're supposed to do, if we're obedient, and that's one of the things we want to talk about, obedience versus disobedience. If we're obedient to what the Lord tells us to do today, which is the only day we have, there is great joy and happiness and peace and contentment that's derived just from doing today what he asks you to do or what he has you to do, right? I think about last night when all those young people were there. I mean, it's, it's, it's joyous. You know, they're laughing and cutting up, and I hear them in there in the kitchen, and they're cooking dinner, and it's just, you know, they're, they're talking about Scripture, and like I said, they were all doing their Bible study there early on, and I think about just the joyous time that was, and it was just for me. I mean, I was, I was just in there preparing to study, and they were playing the guitar, and I went in there, and I told them, I said, I don't know who was playing the guitar, but it was awesome. It was like it really spoke to my soul while I was preparing. It's kind of like, you know, King David, you know, the minstrel, you know, not that I'm Saul, that's what I told him, you know, <laughs> but just that having, having them, that, that, that presence in the house, yeah, I, I, I have hope for the future, but if my days ended today, you know, we have to live our lives that way. We don't know the number of our days, only the Lord does, 
But you know, if our days end tomorrow, I would like to be able to say, wow, it was, you know, yesterday was fantastic and it's been great, you know. We don't know the number of our days. So we have to, we have to live that way. And a lot of it has to do with obedience. You think about the children of Israel wandering in the desert for 40 years, being disobedient, right? And you, you just think about, I mean, if Larry and Vicki, I mean, if you're, you know, when we all have kids that have been disobedient. It, it's grievous, right? I mean, you can't sleep. You wake up thinking about it. You go to bed thinking about it. You pray about it. You intercede about it. It's just, it's like the worst, you know? And when we're disobedient, that's what we're doing to our Father in heaven. You know, I don't want to grieve him like that. You know, I want to be obedient and do what he tells us to do. Amen? All right, so let's, um, let's read a little bit. Let's start in Numbers, in the beginning. And this is on your sheet, by the way. We'll start in Numbers um, chapter 13. And like I said, we're going to read a little bit. Numbers 13, beginning in verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men that they may search out the land of Canaan, which I have given unto the children of Israel. Of every tribe of their fathers shall, uh, shall you send a man, uh, every one a ruler among them. So Moses, by the commandment of the Lord, sent them from the wilderness. Uh, all those men, they were heads of the children of Israel. And these were their names. I'm not going to read all these, but they did send of the tribe of Judah, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. Um, and then they also sent of the tribe of Ephraim, Oshia, or Joshua, the son of Nun. Um, picking up in verse 16, these are the names of the men which went with Moses to spy out the land, and Moses called Oshia, the son of Nun, Joshua. So Moses sent them out to spy out the land, and he said unto them, Get up this way southward, go up into the mountain and see the land, what it is. <laughs> and the people that dwell there, whether they're strong or whether they're weak, whether they're few or whether they're many, see what the land is, where they dwell, what they dwell in, whether it's a good land or bad land, what the cities are like that they dwell in. Are they in tents or are they in strongholds? And what the land is, whether it's fat or lean, whether it is wooded or not. And be ye of good courage. Be of good courage. And bring of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the time of the first ripe grapes. So they went up and they searched out the land from the wilderness of Zin unto Rehob as men come from Hamath. And they ascended by the south and they came unto Hebron where Amela, she, blah, 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 and Anak were. Now we know that uh, Hebron was built seven years before uh, Zoan in Egypt. And Anak, of course, we remember most of us anyway, that those were the giants. So they came to the brook of Eshkol, and they cut down from there a branch, which one cluster of grapes, I guess it was so big they had to put it on a pole and carry it between two, two of them. And they brought of the pomegranates and of the figs, and the place uh, was called the brook of Eshkol because of the cluster of grapes, which the children of Israel cut down from there. And they returned from searching out the land after 40 days. Verse 26, And they went and they came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel. 
uh, unto the wilderness of Paran and Kadesh, and brought back word unto them unto all the congregation, and showed them of the fruit of the land. And they told them, and they said, We came unto the land whither thou sent us, and surely it flows with milk and honey. And this is the fruit of it. I just, I picture in my mind's eye these cluster of grapes like as big as baseballs. You know what I'm saying? Big old grapes, like one of them would be enough. Uh, nevertheless, the people are strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and are very great. And moreover, we did see the giants in the land. Okay, so it's great, but it's fortified. The Amalekites dwell in the land there in the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. So Caleb steps up, and he calms everybody down because they all got freaked out about, wow, it really is the promised land, but ooh, there's giants in the land, and there's fortified cities, and you know, they had all these mental images in their mind about having to fight against you know, walled cities and giants. So Caleb stills or calms down the people before Moses, and he says, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. Verse 31. Okay, so to me, that's the youth. Okay, that's the mindset of the youth. The Lord said do it. It is a good land. It doesn't matter that there's giants there and that it's fortified. We're going up. Okay, that's the youth. But then, and the Bible doesn't say this, I'm going to interject. And then the old men that went up with them said, Wait, we're not able to go up against these people. They are stronger than we are. I want to pause there. The old guy said, We are not able to go up because they are stronger than we. Okay? The youth are not relying on themselves, they're relying on the Lord because the Lord said, go take the land. Right? But the old men who've been around and seen a few things before and have all these preconceived notions and ideas in their heads said, wait a minute, we can't do this. And you know what I would say? Whoever it was that said that, they're right. They can't do it. They cannot do it. We can't do what we're doing. I mean, Pastor, it's a miracle that we're still here. It's not we, though. It's thee and we. Right? It's not us. We can't do it in the power of our might, but we can do it in the power of his might. Right? So this is that's something that struck me here is... When they said that we, we can't go up and do it, they're right. They, they can't go do it. But God can do it. And God called them to do it. And the, the youngsters, the young ones, Caleb and Joshua, said, we can do this through the power of the Lord. In verse 32, continuing on with the older generation, they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, the land through which we have gone into search is a land that eats up its inhabitants. All the people that we saw were men of great stature, and we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come out of the giants. And we were in our sight as grasshoppers. 
so we were in their sight. Um, continuing in verse 14. So the congregation lift up their voices and they cried and they wept and the people wept all night. That's a sad thing to me, right? They'd just gone in and they checked out the promised land and indeed it was the promised land. Grapes as big as baseballs. And yet they're boohooing and crying and they can't sleep because they're so fearful. And the children of Israel did what? They murmured against Moses and against Aaron and the whole congregation said unto them, Would that God... Uh, would to God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God that we had died in the wilderness? Why has the Lord brought us unto this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should be a prey? I mean, they're just going off in their thinking, right? The cogitations of my mind greatly trouble me. That's where they're going, right? They're not holding on to the word that the Lord spoke to them. They're um. Les? Yes. Well, the thing that is astounding to me is the fact that they'd seen God do so many things and they still felt that way. It's like, <coughs> what had He done on their behalf that was so supernatural, so miraculous? The deliverance was off the charts. We're not talking about, you know, giving thirty dollars because you need to pay your light bill. I'm talking about major miracles, like parting the sea. Yeah, let's part the sea, but He can't defeat this army. I'm just thinking how. How did they, I mean, to me, the young men should have been afraid because they really hadn't seen as many things. I mean, but the old folk had seen it all. They had been through the whole thing. They'd seen the deliverance. They'd experienced it all. But it just goes to show that their perspective was never changed. Their perspective wasn't changed. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, what's, that's what God has spent so much time with us, changing our perspective on how we see the events in our own lives, but in what's happening around us, because... It's your perspective that really, it really dictates your forward progression. Yeah. I see and the toe. And I, see, I will see the toe. I see the toe. Put it on the side. I see the toe. Because really, they just, they had seen God move, yet how was their unbelief so, it, it absolutely, the fear defeated them. Because they, they, and we know too that they didn't have that, daily commune with the Lord mm. themselves and their, that's why their perspective was actually never changed mm. they actually were they were delivered physically out of the land of bondage but they weren't delivered emotionally they weren't delivered you know in their perspective out of the land they were still just those Egyptians that had been in bondage right I don't know it's just but you still think if you've seen that much happen how can you still not think that God is able it is amazing, isn't it? Forty years of miracles, and they still didn't believe it. But someone yesterday, sometime this week, when we were having a discussion, did mention the fact, I think it might have been Dennis, that said, well, when they went to war, people still did die. Oh, yeah. I mean, they, they did conquer. They did go into the land, or they did you know, win the battle. But there were losses, and so maybe part of it was the fact that they just weren't willing to pay the price for the promised land, knowing that there would be losses. I mean, I don't know what, you know, what the fear was that they were hanging on to, but that probably was part of it, the mm -hmm. fact that they weren't willing to lose their life in order for the greater good to have, you know, fulfill, be fulfilled. Right. You know, defeating the enemy in the land of promise. So, I mean, there are going to be losses. That's the thing. And that's what you said about not, us not living forever. Mm -hmm. You know, 
I, a time is appointed unto us. Sure. And if mine is next week, it's next week. And, you know, if it's in 10 years, it's 10 years. And if it's in the battle, you know, wherever it is, that's what it is. So there is going to be loss of life. Yeah. But anyway. I was listening. I haven't listened to it, the whole thing, but it was a podcast that Noah had told me about. And um, one, of the, one of the guys that was doing the majority of the talking, he's a Christian, but he also was a Green Beret. And um, he was talking about death. And he said one of the problems that we have is, especially for in, in society versus in the, in the military, the, 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 the perspective and the, and the way people look upon death is totally different. And, and, and specifically, it's that way in the United States of America. It's not that way outside of the US. He said, life should be celebrated, not, you know, we all, we think about, you know, I don't want to have a funeral, I want to have a celebration of life. He said, that's how the, that's how Americans look at it. He said, but outside of our borders, they celebrate life every day. And that's, you, sh you should celebrate life every day because you don't know when the end comes. And when the end comes, the end has come. You've celebrated life every day. And you've, you know, you've gone on to the other side. Um, but having a healthy perspective, Stacy, of death and, and what, you know, I mean, we're all going there at some point, right? We're all gonna cross the river and get to the other side. Dennis, are you adjusting your glasses or raising your hand? Yeah, I'm <laughs> <laughs> When we stop talking about death, I just turned 75. <laughs> uh, we're all one day closer. <laughs> It's totally how That's we what are. I'm trying to say. That's a great observation. It just made me remember I was thinking about, I'm, you know, I'm somewhat of a planner. I like to set goals and objectives and all. And um, I was doing some studying about goal setting. And I've read a couple of really good books lately. Um, but one of them is talking about setting your goals according to what the Lord has said over your life. Okay, so when you're trying to set your goals and, and like, you know, implement, implement best practices for what you do work-wise or, you know, in the church, whatever, um, you need to ask yourself, number one, you have to have clarity about what the Lord has told you. What has the Lord told you? Okay, what is he going to do with you specifically in the kingdom? You know, we, we talk about... You know, purpose. You know, what is your purpose? 
And if you don't know what your purpose is, you need to pray about that and intercede about that and find out what your purpose is. And then once you have clarity about what your purpose is, when you're trying to make decisions about how you're going to conduct your affairs and how you're going to act and how you're going to structure your day or whatever, you can simply ask yourself, okay, if I make decision A, is that, is that keeping me on the path that the Lord has me going on? Or is it getting me off the path that the Lord has me going on? Uh, eu acredito que no, no, em Números 14, 24, I believe that in Numbers 14, 24, uh, vemos we can see Deus falar que Caleb God said that Caleb tinha outro espírito. had other spirit. Oh, então, em, em, em é, Josué 14, em Joshua 14, diz que ele era velho. Em Escritura diz que ele era velho, mas estava conservado nesse espírito. Mas ele tinha esse espírito, outro espírito. No Brasil, no Brasil, eu também estou vendo muitos jovens se mover. I'm looking a lot of young people to move. Mas não nesse espírito. But not in this spirit. Mas pela pela emoção. It's more by than emotions. Ah. E quando chega um, uma uma fronteira, eles não têm um espírito forte. They don't have a strong spirit when they see a uh, uh, um quando tem que ter um avanço when they, they need to be a breakthrough mm -hmm. they can they can't break through yeah they can't overcome right they don't have that overcoming spirit yes yeah. são fracos em, no espírito they are weakened in spirit okay é, é, apesar de estarmos com pessoas mais velhas we are here with uh, more older people. 75 anos. <laughs> 75 years. He is more jovens. than more stronger than the older people. Porque yeah. o espírito que está nele é, é, é forte. Because the spirit that, that dwells in him is more strong. Right. That's good. Good observation. Which makes it ever more important for us as the older <coughs> generation that maybe has that strong spirit to impart that to these young people and to um, encourage them. And like we, like we talked about earlier, just, just a little while ago, you know, we don't want to be the naysayers. We want to be the encouragers, right? We want to impart that spirit to the, to the younger generation. Good point, brother. Thank you. Monica? I think uh, last night I was thinking about this on my way home from the party. Uh, you know, the, they saw that the men were stronger and that they likened them to grasshoppers and, and you know, they, they had knowledge of that. And I think there's a huge difference between knowledge and truth. And, and oftentimes, you have to be super careful not to function in the knowledge. Mm, that's good. But when you talk about sons, we're talking about the spirit of truth and sonship. Mm. And so... You know, there's a lot of knowledge. 
our world is filled with knowledge. You can find a research page, you can find information. You know, studies have been done this, this, this and if, if you build, if you build your spirit around that, mm. you will see the, them like grasshoppers. You will mm. see them stronger. And so I see those older men. I mean, they were functioning in the knowledge of what they knew, mm. whereas we're calling forth the sons to function in that spirit of truth and sonship to, to flow in the truth mm. because the truth is immovable. The truth is, well, we know God's purpose. In <coughs> so, so good. Yeah. We have to be careful. I mean, we have a lot of knowledge. But, yeah. That's so good. It just made me think, you know, how many of you have heard the, the saying, we all have, it's not what you know, it's who you know. But think about kids. Think about the generations coming. They have this information. I mean, they have been raised in information. Yeah. That's the enemy's plot, to pull them outside of truth and to have them flowing in information and knowledge that is not necessarily truth. And it's in the church. Sure. Yeah. Anyway. No, that's such a good observation. Because we are, I mean, you, know, you think about knowledge, you think about um, oh, just the noise. You know, I mean, the, the enemy has really created just this world of stuff all around us, right? And, and, it, and it's, um, it's just, it's, it's, it's very distracting. You know, it's, it's very distracting. And it's very damaging. Um, but again, you know, it's who we know. It's who you know. It's who you know. Right? And that's what matters. Um, you know, we want to be well-informed people, for sure. I think we're called to be well-informed people. But what we really want is to be close to the Lord, pressing in, interceding, you know, knowing Him and His will and His purpose. And that's what I was, I was saying earlier about knowing what your purpose is and making decisions in your life about do I go left or do I go right? Well, which one's going to keep you closer to the track of purpose? Right? That's how you should make your decisions. You know, if the Lord, you know, has, well, I'm not going to go there. You know what I'm saying, right? Okay. So I believe I was somewhere around numbers 14, uh, 3. Um, let's see. So why has the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should be a prey were it not better for us to return to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us make a captain and let us return to Egypt. <laughs> let's go back to bondage. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their face before all of the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. Verse 6, And Joshua the son of Nun, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched out the land, tore their clothes, and they spoke unto all the congregation, I'm sorry, to all the company of the children of Israel, saying, Look, the land that we passed through to search out, it is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land. Okay? That's the focus. If the Lord delights in us, He will bring us into this land. It's not us, it's Him. So He like reset the record.
Uh, and then he says in verse 9, and they acknowledge this and notice this, Only rebel not against the Lord, neither fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. Joshua and Caleb recognized this was going to be a spiritual battle. Okay? He says, look, okay, fortified cities, giants, lots of them, and we're as nothing in their eyes. But he says here, the Lord is with us. That's who's going to get us into this promised land. That's who's going to cause us to be uh, conquerors and successful at taking the land. But then the congregation wanted to stone them with stones. I don't know what else you would stone them with. but um, <laughs> And the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of the Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, How long is this people going to provoke me? How long is it going to be before they believe me? For all the signs which I have showed them, Stacy. The Lord's pointing out, I've showed them miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. And they still don't believe me. I'm going to smite them with pestilence. I'm going to disinherit them. I'm going to make uh, of you a greater nation and mightier than them. So basically, Moses is saying, I'm going to wipe them all out and we're going to start over. Moses says unto the Lord, You do that and the Egyptians are going to hear about it. For though you brought this people up in might from amongst them, and they're going to tell it to the inhabitants of the land, for they've heard that thou art among this people, that thou art seen face to face, and that thy cloud stands over them, and you go before them by daytime in a pillar of cloud, and at nighttime in a fiery pillar. Now if you kill all this people as one man, then all the nations that have heard of the fame of you will speak, saying, Because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land, which he swore unto them, he slain them in the wilderness. It took, him, took some chutzpah, in my opinion, to have this discussion. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He's talking to the Lord. But he's, he's, he's saying, look, this is how it's going to look. Right? In verse 7... Verse 17, he says, Now I beseech thee, let the power of my Lord be great, according as thou hast spoken, saying, The Lord is long-suffering, and is of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgressions, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children unto the third and fourth generation. But pardon, I beseech thee, the iniquity of this people, according unto thy greatness of thy mercy. And as thou hast forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. And the Lord said, I have pardoned according to thy word. But as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Because all of those men which have seen my glory and my miracles, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have tempted me now these ten times, and have not listened to me, they are not going into the land. They are not going to see the land that I swore to their fathers. Neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit within him, brother, and has followed me fully, 
Him will I bring into the land whereunto he went, and his seed shall possess it. Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwelt in the valley. Tomorrow turn you and get you into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. And so the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, How long will I bear with this evil congregation which murmur against me? I've heard their murmurings, of the, I've heard their murmurings um, say unto them, As truly as I live, says the Lord, you have spoken in my ear, so I will do to you. Your carcasses will fall in the wilderness. And all that were numbered of you, according to your whole numbers, from twenty years old and upward, which have murmured against me, doubtless you shall not come into the land concerning which I swore, um, except for Caleb and Joshua. But your little ones, which you said would be a prey, them will I bring in, and they will know the land which you have despised. But your carcasses are going to fall in the wilderness. So we get the picture, right? Doesn't it seem to some extent that that's kind of where we are today? You know, the Lord has told us He's going to do these great things in our land. And yet, you know, churches, Christians, they aren't willing to do the battle. They aren't willing to fight. They, they murmur. They're not getting their way. You know, they... They have all this political correctness going on. You know, they have all this distractions of the enemy that the enemy has thrown up on them. And it's going to take our younger generation coming in and having the relationship, having the confidence and the faith and the belief that the Lord is going to do what he said he's going to do. And that there is going to be a great end time harvest. Amen? I know that was a long, a long one. Let's turn to Luke 15, and we're going to read together the um, a story that we have all read before. Luke 15:11. This is Jesus speaking. He says, "You know, there was a certain man that had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of the goods that fall to me.'" So the father divided up his, his estate, split it between his two sons, and after uh, many days, the younger son gathered all the stuff together that his father had given to him, and he took a journey into a far country. And what did he do? He wasted all the substance with what? Riotous living. Don't know what all that entailed, but he probably had a lot of, probably had a good time. A riotous time. So when he had spent everything, there arose a famine in the land, and he began to be in want. So he joined himself to a citizen of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed his pigs. And he would, have, he would feign, he wished he could even fill his belly with the husks that the pigs were eating, but no man gave him anything. In verse 17, when he finally came to himself, came to his senses, he said, Man, how many hired servants of my father's at least have enough bread to spare? And here I am, dying of hunger. I'm going to arise, and I'm going to go to my father, and I'm going to confess. I'm going to say to him, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no more worthy to be called your son, but make me as one of your hired servants. So he arose, and he came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him, 
And what did his father have? Angry words, ready to smack him in the head for doing all this riotous living stuff and wasting his part of his estate. No. He had compassion on him. He ran to him. He fell on his neck and he kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and I have sinned against you. I am no more worthy to be called your son. He was confessing. He was repenting. The father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe, put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead. But he is alive again. He was lost, and now he's been found. And so they all began to be merry. Now his older son was still in the field. And as he came and drew close to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and said, What is going on at the house? And his servant said, Your brother has come back. Your father's killed the fatted calf. He's received him home safe and sound. And then the elder brother was angry. He wouldn't even go in to the celebration. And so his father came out and asked him, said, come on in. And he said to his father, look, all these years I served you. I neither transgressed you at any time. I always did what you commanded. And yet I never got a party like this. You never killed the fatted calf for me. You never let me make merry and have fun with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours, who has devoured all of the living that you gave him with harlots and, and, and riotous living, you go and kill the fatted calf for him. What's up with that? The father said to him, Son, you are ever with me. All that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad. For your brother was dead, and he is alive again. What was lost has now been found. You know, I mean, that's such a great story. And, you know, part of this teaching today or discussion or talk is about taking the land. It's also about the younger generation. But it's also about restoration and calling back those that have gotten off the path, right? And how many of you know, just like we see here in the prodigal son, there's two sons, right? Some of the best testimonies come from those that have gotten the farthest off the path because it shows the mercy of the Lord in their lives. You know? I mean, if the Lord could save a wretch like me, you know, they can definitely save you, Teresa. <laughs> you know? And so, the Lord is redeeming our young people. And we're nigh into 10 o'clock. The time goes by quickly. 
But if anybody has a story that they want to share, I think that, you know, we, we, we all, um, we really should testify more, right? The Lord's doing such great things in our lives, in all of our lives. Um, we really should share what the Lord's doing more often uh, because it's encouraging to others. Because, you know, we're a tight-knit group of people. We're all close. Um, but there's stuff that people go through that well, we don't know. But if we did, we'd be able to be there and pray and support and uplift and intercede, right? Um, in Noah's room, <laughs> does anybody else get emotional when you think about your kids? No. <laughs> I do. And I think it's just because of the impact. <laughs> it's the impact that they can make in our society and on our world. And that's, that's like so powerful. But he has this thing that, that he wrote out. It says vulnerable. And being vulnerable is like, I mean, it's <clears throat> being willing to be vulnerable is like that first step towards getting where the Lord wants you to be. It's a hard step to take, though, right? Because we live, we live in this whole, horribly judgmental world. It's horribly judgmental. I mean, you look at these poor kids today that, you know, their image is based on what they see. On Facebook. Yeah. It's terrible. And so, all of us coming together and sharing and being vulnerable and telling of our stories and asking for prayer, um, I think is critically important. So, um, you can either share now or maybe share with somebody if, if you have a, a story of, of, you know, one that's gone as a wayward child that you have seen come back or that you're praying for that, that scripture that says, call those things that are not as though they are. If there's anybody out there that has a child or a cousin or a niece or a nephew or whatever that you're praying for, um, you know, call them back because the Lord's going to bring them back. And he is going to use you to do that. And he's going to use those that he chooses to place around that person. Maybe other people, other young people to bring them back. So we're going to go forth and take the land. The Lord is calling back the prodigals, those that have gotten off the path. In these end times, he is raising up a mighty army of young people that are not going to be fearful, that are going to be obedient and are going to believe what the Lord says and they are going to go in and take the land. Not in their own power, not in their own might, but in the power of His might. And our duty, as we read in Proverbs 22, train up a child in the way they should go and when they're old they will not depart from it. Okay? We, and that's not just speaking of our kids that came from us. It's our kids 
those young people, train them up. All those youngsters that were in the house last night, I mean, anything we can do to pray for them, support them, encourage them, train them up, share our life stories, our life experiences, our wayward journeys, you know, so that maybe they don't have to go through some of that stuff. Anything we can do, that is training. That is training for that generation. Um, and also lead by example and be an example of obedience. I'm going to read one more scripture and then we're going to be done. So flip over with me to Matthew 28, <clears throat> verse 19. <clears throat> Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and teach them to observe all the things whatsoever I have commanded you. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. The Great Commission. We've all read it. We've all heard it. But we need to live and be an example to these young people. We need to go forth teaching all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe the things that the Lord has commanded us. And how do we teach them to observe? Be quick to obey. When the Lord tells us to do something, do it. Your kids are watching. The young people are watching. Because we live in a hypocritical world. Okay? A hypocritical world. These young people see the stuff that goes on in our society, and they're like, I don't want to be like that person. I don't ever want to be like that. You know, they say one thing, and they totally do the other. Okay? We, the buck stops with us on that. Okay? Slow to speak, quick to hear, quick to obey. Amen. Amen. Thank you for your participation and for being here and listening and for letting me speak before you. And I, I want to pray real quick and then we'll be free to go. Dennis will come up and close us officially. But Lord, I just want to thank you that just like in the Old Testament, Lord, you called the children of Israel to come into the promised land and to take the promised land, to fight and to take ground and terio and to conquer for the kingdom. Father, you've called us to do the exact same thing. We are to go take the land. We are to redeem the terio in these end days. And Lord, I know, just like you raised up Caleb um, and Joshua, and just like you brought back that prodigal son, you're, gonna, you're going to lead these young people, Lord. They're going to be quick to obey. They're not going to ask a lot of questions. They're going to be so close to you that they know if you've told them to go take the land, they're going to take the land. And if they die taking the land, so be it. May we have your spirit within us. You have given us a spirit, Lord, a sound mind, not of fear. Power, love, not of fear. So, Lord, we do call those prodigals back, Lord, those of our young people that have gotten off the path. For whatever reason, let them not be fearful of condemnation or anger, just like this prodigal son we read about. You know, he confessed and he repented, and his father opened his arms to him and brought him in and partnered with him from that day forward. Father, we love you. 
we thank you so much for this time together and for your Holy Spirit and for Jesus, our elder brother. May we continue to know you. It's not what we know, it's who we know. And may we know you more. We love you and we give you thanks in the name of Jesus. Amen.